It's the Blue Vote Cafe, a little bit wonkish, a whole lot of fun. I'm David Schellenberg with Rachel Oyster in Canada's capital of Ottawa. Hello, Rachel. Hello, David. It is fall in Ottawa. The leaves are changing. We've just finished Thanksgiving, the Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's right. Canadian Thanksgiving was just behind us. And yes, the, the autumnal weather rolled in just in time for it. For, yeah, exactly. Who's with us today? <laughs> Today, we, our guest is Ashley Houghton, who is the Senior Director of Programs and Policy with Fair Vote. And uh, we're delighted to welcome you to the cafe, Ashley. Hello. Oh, I am so happy to be here. I have my tea. I'm thrilled to be joining you. Oh, oh what kind <laughs> of tea? You. Oh, it's a raspberry tea. Uh-huh. I, oh, I yum. Tea. I had, <laughs> yeah, I had raspberry with hibiscus this morning. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm betting David's uh, just a black tea kind of guy. <laughs> Plain old orange pico, right? What a, what a <laughs> lovely <laughs> conversation about tea. I cannot relate. I have a deep, dark tea. Uh, I love my light red. <laughs> I like variety in tea. Uh, so, Ashley, what part of the world are you in? I am in uh, Silver Spring, just outside our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Oh, cool. <laughs> Not far from my birthplace of Kensington. <laughs> I remember you mentioning that. I, I, I believe, yes, I, I am actually from Rockville, Maryland, famous for the song Don't Go Back to Rockville, um, which I've done multiple times, uh, but always grew up outside of our nation's capital and, and you know, one day always aspired to become part of that, that advocacy machine. Right. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, so let's tell us everything. We want to know about FairVote, and we want to know how you got involved in what you're doing. So why don't you start by telling us what FairVote is, how it got started, who started it, and why? Sure. So FairVote was started um, uh, in 1992 uh, by our co-founder, Rob Ritchie. And, and there were uh, you know certainly a, a swath of others that were uh, heavily involved, um, uh, including uh, presidential candidate John Anderson. I don't remember mm-hmm. Remember the third party candidate um, who was running at the time, Um, but it started as a research and advocacy organization. And I think you could safely look back and say that for a large part of our history, Fair Vote was really trying to research which election reforms would lead to a better democracy for all Mm -hmm. Americans. And then we started market testing them. (laughs) which ones would people actually be interested in? Which ones would they get behind? And we identified a couple as having real, real strength. And so I would say for the last decade plus of of FairVote's work, we've been researching ranked choice voting and the proportional form of ranked choice voting, and then also advocating for for those reforms across the country. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And and so this is... It's the system where if there's five candidates running, you number them in your favorite from from number one to number five. Or, That's right. Yeah. And, and then you always just rank one if you prefer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't have to pick them all. Yeah. And and then what happens? And then uh, let's say there are a whole bunch of candidates that are running for one spot. If your favorite candidate will not uh, uh, show any sign of gaining traction and the uh, support is kind of broad across the field, your second choice will count as your next choice until someone emerges with uh, a majority of voters represented in right. the outcome. So yeah, generally you count them all up and then whoever's in last place, you take their votes and distribute them. Exactly. Yeah, to do and, and you honestly believe this makes for better elections? Oh, I can, I, I can share. I've, I've seen this in person. So, um, 
I came across this as a convert, and that's often what you see from people who who care deeply about ranked choice voting. I've right. worked on a number of other political issues, um, and I just found myself banging my head against the wall for <laughs> decades, years, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, and I was, uh, uh, I had voted in uh, a local Oakland election. I didn't remember the experience. I will freely admit at all. This was in 2016. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I was talking to my brother who um, both of us are, are Australian on our mother's side, but he actually lives there now. And he said, yeah, actually, if you all just had ranked choice voting, this would all just be so much easier. You wouldn't have all of this spoiler effect. You wouldn't have all the strategic voting that you all are doing. People would actually be incentivized to try to win support instead of trying to get their uh, opponent's supporters to stay home on election day. And I thought, Grant, what are you talking about? And then I looked it up and I realized that I'd already voted in a ranked choice voting election. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, this is so straightforward. Why don't we have this nationally? And so um, I, I discovered fair vote and quickly came on board and, uh, didn't realize how extraordinarily popular this reform would be. Like, I mean, look at the world right now. It is nearly impossible to do anything. Right? It, is, <laughs> uh, it is very difficult to, to feel like, um, uh, you're making an impact in the world. And, and ranked choice voting in particular has been the fastest growing nonpartisan election reform in the country. In in that election that I voted in in 2016, there were only 10 cities that had access to it nationwide. Mm-hmm. And now we have 49 cities and counties. We have two states that use it uh, across the whole state. So um, uh, it has been pretty extraordinary seeing this this gain traction. Yeah, mm-hmm. in Canada, the political parties have used it to pick their leaders since the 90s, I'm pretty sure, with one of them. So it's it's been around for a while. It's not a new idea at all. Yeah, it's um it's not a new idea. And it's it's really, I think, one of the most straightforward ways to um to to deal with some of the most fundamental challenges with our, our democracy right now. So I mentioned strategic voting. I, I think everyone's been in this scenario, right? You're sitting down, you have your you have your your um uh, uh your list in front of you and you find yourself trying to decide who is the the lesser of two evils. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I really want this person, but I know that if I do that, I'm just gonna throw my vote away. This removes that concept because you can safely rank someone first and know that if if they aren't a viable candidate, it will always come come in second. And then the other thing that it does is it creates this incentive structure through the the campaigns process where if you're a candidate, uh, your goal is to try to get as many people's uh, second place support as possible if you can't be their favorite. And so instead of mudslinging, what it does is it contributes to this culture of uh, of more collaborative campaigning, of, mm-hmm. of positive campaigning, try to, trying to to win other other people's support. Um, and it also lowers barriers to participate for women and for for candidates of color. So like who gets hurt by this spoiler effect, right? It is people who are told to wait their turn. And who is told to wait their turn? It tends to be women. It tends to be younger candidates. It tends to be candidates of color. And so ranked choice voting uh, removes that, you know, wait your turn dynamic. Right. So the cities that are using it now, are they using it to pick the mayor or councillors or what are they using it for? Uh, yeah, I mean, they can use it across the board. So uh, we've seen it used in um, political primaries. So let's say you have a competitive primary field. Uh, 2020, good example of that. We had a 
very busy primary field on the on the Democrat side. Um, uh, this can help winnow that to a, a, a candidate that can really lean into that general election with a lot of consensus support. But it's also used, um, you know, in in Alaska and, and Maine, you know, across the state and and in uh, in Maine federal elections as well, uh, all the way down to city councilors. I've seen PTA members uh, elected with this. Mm-hmm. Ranked choice voting isn't all one thing, so we should probably talk about no. the alternatives within that fairly broad category, actually. And I th- I think fair vote has particular has a particular advocacy in that regard. Right. So there are lot there are many different election reform methods out there as mm-hmm. there are fish in the ocean, right? So <laughs> and, and I think that particularly when you get the kinds of people who care about elections as as we see at Fair Vote, all of us tend to come to the table with an idea, right? But um we tend to support the version of ranked choice voting called the instant runoff that's been used. So for us, what was most important was identifying the use case scenario where um, uh, uh, it had been tried and true in the real world and that we could see it implemented effectively. Now, the good news is because it is a reform that works with other election methods, you can see it used in a place that uses, say, like top four, top five voting, where you have an open primary and then you use ranked choice voting to select from the top four, top five candidates. Um, uh, but you can also see it, as I mentioned, in in party-run primaries. Um, you can see it in multi-winner elections, where you have a whole bunch of uh, uh, candidates running for, say, five slots. You can still use it in in that. Um, uh, uh, so what what I like to say is it it also ends up becoming the mortar between the bricks of of other uh, mm-hmm. elections that are out there. But but how are they different? These different methods. What what changes? Right. Wait, yeah, let's get very specific about what instant runoff is. Yeah, instant runoff is <laughs> as compared with the other possibilities. Yeah, so just to explain for people who might have not thought about ranked choice, they just know it as a thing, but they don't know what it means. Sure. So the and and to be clear, before I joined Fair Vote, I didn't know what any of these reform methods were either, right? And I and since most of my time is spent on, on kind of the the implementation of the of the one that we've found gained traction, I'm I'm less less of an expert, I would say, on on some of these other reforms out there. But mm-hmm. there are uh, a lot of it ends up coming down to how uh, votes are are counted, right? So so when you're ranking candidates, uh, you know how do you, how do you decide uh, what comes. Uh, when to eliminate, uh, how how uh, uh, surplus votes are transferred in some cases, uh, that kind of thing. So um, in single winner uh, ranked choice voting elections, as we noted, you eliminate the last place candidate. Uh, your second choice gets counted until someone emerges uh, with a majority of support. Right. Now, in something called a proportional form of ranked choice voting, let's say you're electing uh, people to multiple uh, uh, seats. Mm-hmm. That's an opportunity where uh, your goal is actually to lower the threshold because what you're looking for is for as many voters to be represented in the final outcome as possible. And so what you often do is uh, there's something called the proportional form of ranked choice voting where uh, you identify a surplus and then the uh, 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 
whoever uh, uh, gets as many tallies above a certain amount, you transfer uh, the the uh, a fraction of those to people's second choices and so forth. So it's not just eliminating the last place. It's also identifying what access you have in that first place and, and transferring that over. Hmm. Okay. I think for listeners, we need to get well, no, no. I mean, we just really need to explain very clearly what this is. So you as a voter get a ballot and you have, I guess we should choose a specific number of candidates on that ballot and you yes. rank you rank them by your order of preference. You One to five. Yep. Okay. So we're saying five. Yeah. yeah. I just figured out. <laughs> For a second, third, fourth, yeah. fifth choice. Okay. So you collect the ballots and yeah. whoever gets the fewest number of votes of any of those first, second, third, fourth, fifth choices gets thrown out. That candidate's no longer in the mix. Right. Right. Yeah. And so you take the ballots from the people who ranked that person first and you redistribute, you, you take all of their votes and you count those Whoever their number two choice is. Whoever their number two choice exactly. is, you yeah. count those votes as as if they were their first choice right. among the four remaining candidates. Right. So, right. And, so and now, yeah, go ahead. A single winner, let's say you have David, Rachel, and Ashley on the ballot. We'll make mm-hmm. it. You know, <laughs> very now simple. we have three people. Right? <laughs> yeah. And you really like Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um for obvious but reasons. For obvious <laughs> The charisma alone, um, much less the platform, right? Um, and so uh, you really like Rachel, but you could live with David, kind of like David too. Um, you know, but Ashley's the worst. You really just don't want Ashley. So on your ballot, you would pick Rachel first, and then David second, and you might leave me off entirely. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have your rank. Now, when we're counting those ballots, let's say Rachel, despite being charismatic and having an excellent platform, you just don't get that much support. It's not your day. Right. Anyone who selected you as their first place candidate, you would look at those. Um, we would say Rachel is no longer in the running, and you would count up uh, from the people who selected you first, uh, what were their second choices? And so if more of them chose David over me, that means that David ends up winning the election. Oh. <laughs> you didn't know you were going to come out ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's put it in a different context, right? So let's say I am a really divisive character. It is very, um, I am uh I am coming out here and I am saying, ah, don't don't vote for Rachel. Don't vote for David. Just vote for me. Uh, You know, stay at home. You know, these people are, are, you know, the worst. (laughs) I might not win your second your your supporter second choice. So that's that's part of how that how that works as well. Um, But let's take it in another context. So let's look at something like a presidential primary. Right. Yeah. uh, something that happens a lot with uh, Democrats abroad, you're you're often uh, hopefully voting by mail, right? Um, uh, let's say you have a competitive uh, primary. You have, say, 10 people who are running for uh, this very important uh, office. What happens if uh, between the time that you select your favorite candidate uh, on your ballot and you send it in, they drop out before, before election day, which has happened. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we we saw in the 2020 cycle, three million people lost. Like it was a wasted vote um, on a, on a, 
on the primary side because there were so many candidates who dropped out between early voting and an election day. Mm-hmm. So ranked choice voting, you could have you could have selected your your second choice. Right. So it gives you a little backup protection. Fair yes, enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and, coming back. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yes. Go ahead. No, go for it. Oh, no. I, we strayed a little bit far from where you had been, where we, you were talking about surplus votes. Surplus the problem votes. becomes in the cr- problem comes in. We're talking large numbers. We're not talking. <laughs> sure. No, of course. Six people so, choosing between the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say. And, and what I'm talking about is the proportional form of ranked choice voting. Right. Your goal is to try to get. Um, a final group of elected officials who reflect the interests of the voting populace as much as possible. Like, how close can we get to that level of accuracy? Mm-hmm. And so let's say there are um, three slots that are available, three right. seats that are available, and you have five people running. Right. In that scenario, uh, we have... And, and I can kind of get into math. I'll admit I was a communications major. <laughs> I, I, I'm not great at the math part. But um, uh, you would actually have a threshold that's lower than 50 percent. It would be 25 percent because anything uh, above 25, uh, you, you know that someone's going going to win one of those three slots. So in that case, let's say one candidate has an overwhelming amount of support. Nearly everyone likes this. Mm-hmm. What you want to do is be able to support that person for that one seat, but not lose the power of your vote because they're a popular candidate. So what we do with that is anyone who um, uh, gets more than 25% support in that first round, you take that surplus, so whatever's above that 25%, and you just um, uh, transfer a fraction of people's support to their second choices. So it's it's kind of like if you were going into a store and and you know an, an ice cream costs eighty cents, and you have a dollar in your hand, you really want to get that twenty cents back because you know you can use it. You know mm-hmm. it's 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 a way to really squeeze as much power as possible out of your vote. And then what ends up happening is you have three winning candidates. You go back and you you eliminate whoever's in in last place until you have three candidates who are showing support, not just from uh, the uh, carryover of people who really liked the most popular candidate, but Mm -hmm. also those who liked unpopular candidates, they get their votes redistributed as well. And what's that version called? It's called the proportional form of ranked choice voting. You've also, uh, you know, it's it's a very old method, but it's also one that has a number of different names depending on who you're talking to. So the single transferable vote, it it can get real wonky real fast. Well, that's one of the things I've started struggling with is how how many, let's call them official common variations of ranked choice balloting are there? Well, so there's the theory and then there's the the, practice and what's what's happening. So I would put them in two categories. It's, It's where you have one winner and then you where you have multiple winners okay and so right when it comes to one winner you know there's really one standard there it's it's you know the instant runoff when there are multiple winners there are kind of variations on a theme when it comes to the proportional form and- so when i first started thinking about ranked choice voting um i didn't do any research at all into the different ways <laughs> to do it <laughs> sure. i'll tell you the uh the specifics uh, we're with. We were looking at renaming our local chapter of Democrats Abroad. 
Uh, yeah, the name for, for the chapter was at the time, the national capital region, which didn't work in an international context because it could be the national capital of any country. Yeah, everybody's got a national capital region. <laughs> Including the U.S. And, and we are in Canada. So it needed to say something about where in the world we were. And we came up with, I think actually it was six different possibilities. <laughs> and I was in, it was my initiative to get the name changed. And I was running the, you know, how it was done. And I invented a system, which I later learned is called board account. Well, oh, yeah, I gave each each ranking a weight. So if you ranked someone first or if someone, if you ranked one of the names in first place, then it got six points. If you ranked an, a name in second place, it got five points, which seemed to me the best way to reflect. I mean, this is a completely intuitively invented process, but it seemed the best <laughs> way to reflect the fact that everyone didn't like all the names as you know, each of those spots that you rank your choice isn't you're not as happy with that as, you know, you're less happy with your sixth choice than you are with your first choice. Sure. So it seemed a good way to reflect that. And it worked out very well. That's how we ended up Canada's capital region, which wasn't, <laughs> was not my first choice. <laughs> I, I haven't looked for a long time at the figures, so I can't tell you if anyone ranked it first, but, <laughs> but it tells you we're in Canada. You can no longer mistake us for the Canada, you know, the national capital region of the U.S. Right. <laughs> Well, and what I love is your true dedication to the democratic process. Right? <laughs> Thank you. you. You didn't get the outcome that you wanted, but you but you appreciated the processes. You oh, wanted. the people spoke. I'm telling yeah, you, exactly. and we, that's what we were looking for. <laughs> but I also have to tell you that the complication with that process was the people because they did not understand what we were doing. They didn't understand the ballot. They didn't understand they needed. I, I could tell, you know, you said earlier, if you have three choices, you can just vote one. But so it, the people who just voted one, it was clear they didn't understand we wanted to vote them to vote six. It wasn't just because they only liked one and they didn't want to give any of the others a choice, an option, you know, a, mm. a chance. That's the word. So and they gummed up the works in so many different ways. I had to sit there. I'm serious. I had to sit there with these 60 or 80 or 100 ballots. I don't even remember and go, well, what do I do with this one? Yeah. So. <laughs> it's not easy. So, and and I'm sure that what also happened is what we often see with other kind of, you know, everyone kind of has their best mousetrap, right? That they that they think will will uh, solve democracy. The, the the unfortunate thing is there's really no one perfect like this will solve everything. Um, you know, we like the instant runoff method, but one of the challenges that you ran into is what is the difference between someone uh, giving you know certain points out uh versus uh others so like i think you could actually compare this to something like a pain scale right so mm -hmm. everyone has a different interpretation of what a 10 on the pain scale is right oh, yes um, <laughs> oh i see what you're saying right right, right. i remember Some... <laughs> i remember in the hospital them saying so uh is this a 10 and and uh after i i just had my my baby and i and i said well I suppose it could be worse. <laughs> so um, uh, I think that's often what happens with these other mechanisms as well. And that is particularly what you see in modeling. You assume that human beings will be rational actors. You assume mm -hmm. they all have the same assessment of, of how much they would rate something. So the reason why we like ranked choice voting is that it's very difficult. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult. And, and it's it's particularly difficult in real life scenarios 
to um, to vote strategically, right? To try to to try to mess up with mess the system mm-hmm. um, because everyone can rank things in order of preference, no matter how much weight it has. Right? So, mm-hmm. so if I'm in the grocery store and they have they don't have carrots, I will settle for celery. It doesn't matter how much more or less I like celery than carrots. What matters is I know, I know that my second choice is my second. So in the real world, what are you seeing as the difficulties and the complications with this? Um, So I think uh, the good news is most people get this pretty darn intuitively. Um, There was actually, I don't know how scientific this was, but one of the the organizations that I deeply admire, the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, did a study with them. kids in a school. <laughs> they didn't do any kind of voter education at all. They just gave them a ranked ballot and said, rank these in order of preference. And the error rate was very low, right? Mm-hmm. So it, you, you don't have to go in with a huge amount of voter education, but it does merit some investment in it, right? You want to make sure that it goes well. And particularly anytime that you're introducing something new, you really need an implementation rate that's uh, stellar uh, mm-hmm. uh, to, try to maintain uh, public support for it. But I would say for a long time, our opposition was just the unknown. It was, what is this new system? Mm-hmm. Will, uh, particularly for those who are already in office, will this hurt me, right? Is always right. the first question that you get. Um, and so I would say a lot of our work has been to quell those fears and to illustrate to those who are legislators that in fact, this is a, this is often a better way for you to campaign and and yield better outcomes um, uh, in a way that supports you and, and supports the party at the same time. But even the, the descriptions you've been using already, it almost sounds like what happens is everybody's fourth choice wins. Hmm. And <laughs> and it, they, do do we ever end up with... Out of four. <laughs> right, out of four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the way you're describing this. It, 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 it really sounds like... How often does is there a first round and and one person gets enough votes or or is it really uh, the ultimate compromise and everybody just has to accept the fact you're never going to get the candidate you actually want? Yeah, a come from behind winner is actually not that common. So uh, you know, depending on on how far you look back, it could be between four and six percent of, right. of elections and involve a, a comeback winner. Um, uh, I would need to track back to see what our, our latest data is on that. But, um, uh, in, you know, 90% of elections, whoever the front runner is at the end of the first round will be the person who ends up winning. Yeah, um, cause I just read like in, in any election, there's usually, you might have 10 candidates, but there always seems to be only two or three that, that are the viable candidates for lack of a better word. Yeah. And, and really what it does is it gives that, that leading candidate, the mandate to lead, right? So what often happens is if you if you have some of these really competitive races that you've seen in the past, like I'm I live right outside of DC. We have a DC uh, city council races where you have uh, two dozen people running for two slots. And whoever wins, like man, they've got a tough job at them, right? They're coming yeah, in. Yeah. They don't have a lot of support. They had a really fractioned uh, 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 constituency. They have a lot of people who are calling their office saying, I didn't vote for you and I wouldn't vote for you again. Right? And, <laughs> <laughs> and they won anyway, right? And so it's really hard for them to, uh, uh, to go into office with that kind of confidence of like, oh, no, I actually have support. But for a lot of front runners, that would just reinforce the existing support that they have. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking about it in terms of how you report it. So those 
those people come in and the results were, they, they were the, the top choice of 2% and they were the second <laughs> choice of 10% and they were the fourth choice of, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, that does, that does mean they start off with a burden, but those are results you have to report. I would imagine you can't say, Oh, just they won. So if you're coming out of that first round with 2%, I'm pretty sure you're the first to eliminate it, right? Like, <laughs> you still need a solid base. Um, uh, you really can't, uh, I mean, I'm sure in some models, uh, you, you could set up a scenario where someone wins, but you really do need a strong base of support. Okay, say so 30%. But my point is that they're when the population is accustomed to this person is 100% a winner, instead you get a report that, well, they did pretty well in the first one, but they weren't most people's first choice, maybe, right? Maybe it's well less than 50%. So, yeah, but it also indicates that there was some uh, lack of consensus among that that voting base that mm -hmm. maybe, you know, where you need to bring your voters together. Like mm -hmm. now, you know, gosh, I should really be talking to this community more mm. or man, I really need a solution on this policy issue that I got dinged on. And so you have that clarity too. And actually like, I know we're talking about ranked choice voting when it comes to election methods. I love ranked choice voting polls for what it's worth. It's like, oh, mm, that's oh interesting. Right? Cause you right. get, you actually get to see like, okay, who do people like, right? Who do they like, but maybe not love? Um, maybe, you know, let's say looking at a, a vice presidential candidates, um, Fair Vote found that, uh, you know, maybe Kamala Harris wasn't everyone's uh, top choice inside the Democratic Party, mm -hmm. but she was really strong and she came in really strong with people's second choices too. Interesting. Um, uh, so when we look around the world, you said there was a bunch of states in the United States that's using it, but you know, for our global audience, uh, yes. Australia, you said is using it. Yes, Australia is using it. Um, and and which which version? <laughs> and what are they and, using? And is that is that nationally? Yeah, uh, they are using it nationally. Now they mm -hmm. also have other other mechanisms set up, um, including mandatory voting. Right. So right. They do. <laughs> yes. Democracy sausage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but New Zealand also uses this form of ranked choice voting. Uh, Ireland does as well. Uh, it it is truly popular overseas, and actually, a lot of you know, folks who are listening to this might have used ranked choice voting before because Democrats abroad used ranked choice voting to select delegates in 2020. Yes, um, although it's been we've just that was in our delegate selection plan um, proposal for the coming election. And uh, the DNC did, apparently did not allow any jurisdiction that didn't have ranked choice voting in um, dictated by law denied our using it our we have to use a different method. Hmm. I th think you'll get to use it for selecting delegates. You um, like the the actual human beings that are are the delegates. Um, I think the question I, is using. Yeah, it. I don't think so, but I could be foggy on what. You can also check. Um, yeah. But uh, it's certainly something that you've used in 2020. And then yeah. there are a bunch of Democrats abroad who live uh, whose whose home states are uh, runoff states. Mm -hmm. So. Those are uh, really strong examples of, you know, Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, uh, Georgia, South Carolina, Mississippi. These are all states where you have runoff elections, which means, you know, if no one emerges with more than 50 percent, everyone goes back <laughs> again. Right. And if you're abroad, 
gosh, you know, you might not get your updated ballot in time. You not might not be able to mail it back in time. And so actually anyone who's listening, who's, who's from one of those states or votes uh, for within one of those states, mm-hmm. uh, you get a ranked ballot just in case. That's yeah. right. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but just from, you know, anecdotal conversations here and there, I've heard like California, I think had one in the last election that came out well before the ballot had to be out before a lot of the issues and candidates were settled. Mm. And it was apparently immensely confusing and complicated. Just a very, very long ballot where you had to do some research to figure out what went into different lines. So that is, I think, one of the complications people find. Depending on the situation, people mm-hmm. can find the ballot very confusing. Well, I was just thinking that for the the last uh, presidential election, you know, my ballot mm-hmm. had 20 choices for president. And to go down and, and uh, you know, the obvious ones, which was the Democrats and the Republicans, and then all the other fringe little parties and all the other individuals who were running. And that would take a long time to be able to figure out your top, to, to put them all in some sort of order. Yeah, if you had to rank them yeah. rather than just choose one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So have you seen, I mean, tell us more about the disadvantages. It's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, um, I, I think one of the, the disadvantages that you're describing is like, do people care about mm-hmm. yeah. Not everyone does. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I think you do more when it comes to president because like people tend to know who Pete Buttigieg was compared to Amy Klobuchar compared to, you know, Elizabeth Warren, right? So it was a little bit easier to rank choices in your mind. But if you're looking at kind of a a down ballot race, it really does incentivize researching candidates, which, you know, I'm not opposed to personally, right? Like my bias is that I I think it is great for us to research the positions of of people who are on that ballot. Um, But we certainly don't recommend a system in which you have to, or even have the opportunity to rank 22 candidates, right? like, <laughs> limit it to something like five, right? Um, because you're probably not going to have a sixth choice. It's, it, or if you do, it's going to be much less meaningful. That is interesting because I could see you watching the debates with that in the back of your head of, oh, I get a first, second and third choice instead of just having one vote for one person. True. Yeah. It would change how you participate for sure. Mm-hmm. But then you have to decide how you would limit the slate to five, right? What if seven people are all vying for those spots? Oh no, it's it's just giving people the opportunity to rank up to five. So, oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I way, see. It's, it's saying, you know, you still have five bites at this apple. Um, I see, but seven candidates might be running. Yeah, maybe seven candidates are running, and you huh. have that. You know, it doesn't make sense for you to include on your ballot. Um, and so, those kinds of limitations are also a way to make this a little bit more manageable. Right. Um, but it is definitely a concern. If you if you were to introduce something like this and not have those limitations and have 22 people running, I could see that ballot being quite intimidating. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I have to tell you, like, David, I get a huge ballot from Massachusetts. Um, oh, just yeah. with the current uh, <laughs> voting system we have, yeah. not only the candidates, but also usually... I'd say an average of five referendum questions or ballot questions. <laughs> and every single one of those, well, the, the, the top offices, the candidates are familiar. The bottom ones where you're voting for a city council member or uh, they're even farther down the ballot, they're even smaller offices. And those questions, they take significant amounts of research. So I'm doing it anyway, but 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to picture how my ballot would be all the more complicated. And I'm somebody, I, I, in general, from what I understand of ranked <laughs> choice voting so far, I favor it. Like I said, I made one up on my own. But um, just imagining it's already pages long. <laughs> it would probably be yeah. double the, the size and double the research to try to get that So returned. basically, what you might assume is that people get overwhelmed and don't rank candidates, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that would be a real concern. But what we have actually seen is that 71% of voters rank multiple candidates. And for really competitive races, like look at the New York City mayor, uh, mm -hmm. election, it, it was closer to 90%, right? Hmm. And, wow. and so what that means is you have a better influence on the outcome. So in all ranked choice voting elections since uh, 2004, when I would say this, this RCV renaissance really started taking hold, 73% of ballots ranked the winning candidate in their top three, right? So, so you see something where people are invested in ranking and then they, uh, uh, they're invested in the outcomes too. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. interesting. Right. It's, right. it's a concern that I also had, but it's, it's one where I'm, the, the numbers that are being borne out are really optimistic. And I think that's part of why fair vote took so long to say like, okay, to pick which, which ones should we back, you yeah. know, like which, which one should we, should we focus on? And, and so it was, it was not just like model testing it, but also uh, uh, kicking the tires on it um, when it, when it came to, uh, to seeing it in action. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and now I think you can also always argue there'll be a flaw in every single voting system that anybody could ever invent. That's true. Yes. And and if you want, we can always talk about like, what does ranked choice voting look like if it's leveled up? So what's the what's the next stage? Because I love ranked choice voting and I see it as closing a lot of the the loopholes that really make voting frustrating uh, or annoying and difficult. But there are mm -hmm. also other we talked about the proportional form of ranked choice voting. There is mm -hmm. a bill for Congress called the Fair Representation Act. And when you talk about polarization and the incentives that drive our elections, this is an example of a piece of federal legislation that would really shift the priorities in Congress. And like, I don't know how many people love Congress right now, but I think <laughs> the, the solutions that is actually truly meaningful and on the table. And so it would combine this, this multi-winner proportional form of ranked choice voting that we talked about earlier and it would expand the size of districts uh, and turn them into a multi-winner district. So you would have more than one member of Congress that you're voting for on election day and the incentives completely change. Like there's no such thing as gerrymandering at that point, right? You can't even find a computer that can, that can uh, uh, you know, game the system. Right. You members of Congress, you have one who will always listen to you. You have probably one who will never listen to you. And then you have someone who, who has to fight for your vote, right? So I live in uh, Representative Raskin's district. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Representative Raskin, much adored, uh, wins consistently with majorities. Mm -hmm. uh, if I call uh, Congressman Raskin and say, listen to me on this thing, uh, you know, he could. <laughs> he, he, you know, probably would. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Um, if I called him and I said, I need you to care about this thing that he, you know, really doesn't care about, he could easily just hang up, right? Whether or not I'm a supporter, because his his margins are just so big that he's not fighting for my vote. But if we start to introduce uh 
legislation like something like the Fair Representation Act, I would have three members, five members of Congress that I could call. I might have a Raskin who, you know, might not need to worry about me as much, but I might have someone who's actually fighting on this. Or I might find that my members of Congress can work together in the same district, despite being across a a political spectrum on something. Interesting. But over a bigger geography. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Over a bigger geography. And that's how you get more Democrats represented in Arkansas, right? Hmm. So so how do you set up a system uh, where uh, Democrats in Arkansas and, and Republicans in Boston actually, you know, have a reason to vote for a member of Congress. Right. That's interesting because I know here in Ottawa, um, there have occasionally been, <laughs> there's sure. occasionally been voted the, the idea of currently we elect city councilors and each one represents a specific part of the city called a ward. Yes. And it has been floated on occasion that we should just elect a bunch of councilors who will represent the whole city. And I think it's a terrible idea because they're not answerable directly to the people who put them in office. So would it work on, I mean, you paint a very attractive picture, (laughs) but would it really work that way? (laughs) So you have a larger geography, but the margins are lower, right? Your threshold is not 50%. It's, it's, um, uh, you know, something lower, which means that it's, uh, the stakes are higher. Uh, the, the, you might have a larger district, but your your voting populace um, is going to uh, have a much greater impact on whether or not you get elected. And, and it makes sense for you to work together uh, mm-hmm. with people, not just within your party, outside of your party. Mm-hmm. It'll still create space for either side of the political spectrum because of that lower threshold, right? So you can have your party purist, but mm-hmm. you're also going to need people across the spectrum represented too. Right, right. Interesting. I would suggest look into it. And now mm-hmm. what makes it great is the ranked choice voting part, right? So so just increasing to multi-member districts alone, you know, it's, it's okay, but it might not get you across the finish line in the same way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but that's, you know, when I, when I get really excited uh, when I'm like, oh my goodness, the world could be a brighter, more beautiful place. It's almost always because I'm, I'm dreaming about that, that big, bold, beautiful reform. <laughs> well, and, and, and in Ottawa and Canada, we just use it to elect a new speaker for the house of commons. Mm-hmm. But I, I do wonder which version did they use? Yes. Yes. I'd like to dig into that too. <laughs> What's really, you asked what the hardest part is. Yeah. I would say, speaking honestly, the hardest part is convincing people that it is possible to change elections, right? It is, we are living in a society right now where it is just nearly impossible to do anything anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And people's faith in government is uh, at an all-time low. People's faith in the concept of democracy is at a low. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, the the it's getting people to believe that the cure is possible is almost more important than making sure that the cure works. Right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's we could actually live in a world where this is possible. Um, uh, and it is a it is whether it's ranked choice voting or the Fair Representation Act. It's a piece of legislation that you know either has proven successes or has real merit on the other end. And and at least with ranked choice voting, our hope is that it cracks the door open to the idea that we can all make our democracy a bit stronger. 
I think there's pr- the, the question of whether there needs to be a change, you'll probably get universal agreement on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then the question is, then what? Then right. <laughs> what? Yeah. What if you replace it with something that doesn't work better, that right. in fact works worse, and yeah, then the chance of changing it again probably diminishes all the more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why we invest in in our our research team as much as we do. I think that there are a lot of advocacy organizations out there that you know really just want to get the points on the board. And mm-hmm. I'm from that space, right? I I'm I'm not an academic. I I finished my bachelor's and was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> great. <laughs> Something um, fun to work on. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I think you're totally right that we need to prove that this works. And it means making sure that implementation is perfect. And we work with a lot of organizations that are on that implementation side. Mm-hmm. But it's also, we research truly every competitive election beyond a certain threshold. We right. research ranked choice voting ones. We research the non-ranked choice voting ones, the runoff ones. How much did those runoff co- runoffs cost? How much money could you have saved? Mm-hmm. But also when you do run those ranked choice voting elections, how how did they go? How what what worked, what didn't? Were people happy? Were they not? So Right. And there do seem to have been, I, I gather that the some twenty one cities that voted it in have repealed it. So I don't even, I know nothing beyond that fact. Oh, no, um, we haven't seen a repeal in the last decade. Hmm. So we saw 22 straight city ballot measures in a row. And I think a good example would be Burlington, where they they repealed it a long time ago. And then uh, it passed recently uh, with a two to one uh, margin. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think there is certainly a chance in in our history, you know, too soon uh, could have been a question of Mm -hmm. some of those early repeals. But since then, I mean, I, I am not used to this kind of reform. I come from national security and civil liberties space. So Mm -hmm. I'm not not used to the, to the win rate that, that we have with, uh, with this reform. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Well, I certainly Uh, do see the logic in it. I understand why, why there are people who are advocating for it because it, it, it does change the game. It does. And I think there are a lot of people who are in particular being are, are a little sick of being told to wait their turn when it comes to running for office. And they're sick of uh, told, being told to hold their nose when it comes to voting. And mm-hmm. and I think all of us have been in that scenario where you're staring down the barrel of the general election and you see that independent party candidate come out <laughs> And siphon off votes and yeah, yeah. you know maybe the problem is ralph nader maybe it's him right but maybe it's maybe it's also how easy it is for someone to hold an election hostage in that way right mm-hmm. so, so i i think i personally was kind of sick of that panic that i would get and and wanted to figure out why why do we set it up so that i feel panicked every four years you know um uh, so I, I think that yeah. there is a real, a real opportunity there. Well, interesting. <clears throat> is there anything you want to tell us about it that you haven't uh, had a chance to share? Are you kidding? I could talk about ranked choice voting. <laughs> you poor people. You don't realize how similar to Thanksgiving this was for me. Oh. <laughs> Talk about Canadian Thanksgiving. I would have just been sitting there like, oh, well, have you considered surplus transfers? Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm so appreciative of this space. And, and in particular, I'm so appreciative of the, the Democrats abroad who 
uh, honestly, when it comes to ranked choice ballots, have been doing this since long before it was cool, like way before I ever. <laughs> so I, I deeply appreciate your listeners. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Rachel Oyster with David Schellenberg in Ottawa, Canada. Thank you for listening to Democrats Abroad, the Blue Vote Cafe.